0: pray. Holy Spirit, be here. We know you are. Help us to be aware that you have something to say to us this morning. Help us to be mindful and help us to have soft hearts to be able to receive, maybe in a new way, an old lesson that you love me. We love you so much. It's because of your great for, great love for us that we, in turn, Get to have a relationship with you and get to know you and get to walk with you each day. Help us today to see this great love that you have provided for us, this great love that you keep us in, and this great love that you purpose us towards. We are in debt to you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How you guys feeling? Man, I love Second Service. Y'all are the best. Second Service is the best. I whispered it so it won't be on the recording. You know what I'm saying? I whispered it. It won't be on recording, but you got, we all know. We can just wink at one another from now on. Anytime I see second service people, we just already know. Uh, hey, I, I want I you guys to repeat after me Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Oh, you guys are the best. See, that simple song is really what I want to talk about tonight. Today, tonight, today. I want to talk about that idea that Jesus loves me. And because he loves me, he's got something for me. He has a purpose for me. He has a certain way that I uh, that he that he desires to see me live and think and respond. He has a, he has a certain path for me forward because of his great love for me. See, the gospel isn't just a story that we one time buy into; rather, it is a way that we live our lives, knowing that God loves us so much. So, the gospel has implications for how we live. It has results based upon how we should be living because of God's great love for us. So I want us to jump right in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, five verses 3 through 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, before I dive right into this, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans starts with, Therefore, we now have peace with God. That word peace is shalom. And it really, it means, it doesn't just mean a cessation of war. It's not just like this, this uh, uh, kind of sterile idea that there's just not conflict going on. That's, that's not the relationship that we have back and forth with God. We have peace with God through faith. That means, again, the word shalom, that means that we have harmony with God. That things are the way that they're supposed to operate. And the way that things are supposed to operate is that there's not strife, but rather that there's relationship and and beauty and conversation back and forth. Peace is this idea of singing together with the correct notes. Um, Not here, because it would never happen here. Jeremy's too talented. The worship team is too talented for it to ever happen here. But at other places that you've been on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or whatever, when you've heard worship happen, have you ever heard, like, that one singer that's just, they don't get it? Um, they don't know what notes are. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, or like, there's, like, the electric guitar player that's, like, in their own world. You know what I'm talking about? And, like, they're just, they're playing, and the guitar's out of tune. Or they're just like the drummer, we all know drummers you know what I'm saying, they got their tongue out or whatever, you know what I'm saying they're just weirdos, I'm a drummer so I can say that uh, and so they're, they're back in the back, they're just going nuts and, and they're really not on tempo or anything like that, they're really not a part of the band they're just kind of doing their own thing um, they're, they're not in harmony with the rest of the band, you feel it don't you? And you're just like bless their heart, that's what we Texans say, bless their heart, they just mm. but we congratulate them afterwards don't we, we're really sweet to those people even though they were just the worst during the whole thing. But anyways, anyways, bless their heart. They're out of harmony. That's See, the idea is that when you're in harmony, that when you're singing correctly, when you're on tempo with God, you're at peace with him. You're operating the way that he would have you operate. So th- this idea of peace here really has this positive connotation that we're connected with God the way that things should be going. And so because we see we have peace, actually, I want to back up, 5.1 says, therefore, Therefore, it's a concluding thought for chapters 1 through 4. Chapters 1 through 4 are the route to the gospel. We have righteousness through faith by grace alone. That's how we come to know Jesus. Jesus was offered to us as a gift. We are now in uh, uh, unmerited favor by God. We've been granted this grace, unmerited favor by God. And so because of that, if we respond in faith, then God will credit us righteousness, or credit us his righteousness, and he'll call us right. Before him. That's what chapters 1 through 4 say. And then 5 says, therefore, because of those things, we have peace. We're in harmony with God. Not only that, verse 2 will then say, we have access to God. We have access through faith to God through what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so then, not only that in verse 3, but we rejoice in our. Sufferings. See, Paul, I think, begins to talk about sufferings and about what suffering brings about within us. It's endurance that then leads, hopefully, to character and then on into hope. But see, Paul is wanting to remind us that just because you don't feel like you're at peace with God right now doesn't mean that you're not. You might be in a season of suffering or difficulty or issue or questions or whatever it might be. It doesn't mean that you're not at peace with God, that you don't have access to him, but Paul's just trying to remind us that listen, just because you're not experiencing right now Maybe the, that abundant peacefulness with God Maybe that abundant grace-filled life That beautiful life with Jesus at this moment It doesn't mean that your suffering is a bad thing It doesn't necessarily mean that your suffering is a bad thing In fact, Paul wants us to, to look up and through and out of our suffering Into maybe what God has for us He wants us to grow through that And adopt the lessons that we learn through the difficult times into our character. Somebody say character. I find often, though, that I don't get to the character step in this path. I I experience something that's difficult, some sort of suffering, some sort of relational strife between me and somebody else, um, some sort of situation, financial, whatever it might be. You guys know what I'm trying to talk about. I'm experiencing some sort of suffering. And then, because I have to deal with it, I do. That produces endurance. And that's great, but I stop there. I'm the kind of person that wants to live in comfort. Um, Really, at heart, I'm a lazy person. So comfort, I'm using really nice, like, churchy words to really kind of offset really what I'm trying to say. I'm a lazy person. um, And I like being lazy, and I like watching Netflix way too much. So that's me. And because that's me, I don't want to take what I've learned through the suffering... What I've learned about how to deal with it, and then ask the question why, in order that it becomes a part of my character. Rather, I just want to run away from the the suffering as fast as possible. I want to endure it and run away. You guys you guys know what I'm trying to say right now? I want to deal with the thing, and really I haven't learned why the thing occurred. I've only learned how to manipulate it next time so it occurs less. That's me personally. I don't know if that speaks to anybody in here, but instead of instead of pulling my eyes up to see why is God doing this, I'm only dealing with the how. How do I manage this in my life? And so instead of learning a lesson to then embed it into my person to then walk with new lessons in my life, I just I only care about how I'll deal with this next time. When this, when this person comes to me next time, I'm going to say this thing or this thing, and that'll, that'll deal with the situation. Rather than trying to understand how I can learn from it, embed it within my character and then have a new or different type of relationship with that person instead i just want to run from it maybe you're with me today maybe you get stuck in the endurance step but see what god wants for us is that we would learn through the endurance through the hard times so that he can produce within us a character that is in line with him who wants god's character man i do i do and i know you do too i know that you want to have in your heart and in your mind, in your responses the way of Jesus. I know that you want to be like him in everything that you do and say, but oftentimes we don't embed that within us because we want to be comfortable or we want to get rid of the situation or because we want to run away. Here's what I'm going to tell you today. That in order to get the character of God, we have to adjust and change some things. Chief among them are thought about who God is and how he operates in our lives. Somebody say, Jesus loves me. This is what I want us to know today. I heard John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, say this Thoughts become actions. Actions become behaviors. Behaviors become a character. Thoughts become actions. Actions become behaviors. Behaviors become a character. Because character is kind of an out there idea, in space idea, uh, I, I looked up the definition. It's the distinct moral attributes of a person all of us at least all of us who have placed our faith in jesus christ should want the distinctive characteristics of god the distinct attributes of his personhood the distinct moral um uh ways that he operates to be embedded within us we want to apply who he is upon who we are and the reality is that that doesn't happen quickly that doesn't happen right away. There is no instantaneous route to maturity. There's no route, I should say there's no quick route to character. So Paul is advocating for us a pressing into what's happening in our lives and to learn through it rather than to run from it. y'all catch that? God wants us to learn through what we're going through rather than run from it all the time. Now, the more that we will sync up with the Lord in general, whether it's a good time or a bad time, let's just use an example here. The more that we sync up with the Lord through prayer, through Bible reading, through uh, Scripture memory—not just the ones in your disciple books, okay—the ones that the ones that we continually learn about. Who saw Pastor Harold's post this week about the lady in Romania? Only a couple of us in here. Let, let me let me tell you what happened here. This was amazing to me. The pastor went to uh, get his toes done. You know what I'm saying? He got a little, that's a pedicure? Is that correct? He got a pedicure done. I don't know. I've never done it. I don't know what it's called. So, pedicure. And he, uh, while he's getting his pedicure done, the lady, he sees a Bible, and so he, he picks up the Bible and, and he starts looking at it and he says, oh, do, so do you highlight and, and underline, like, verses in your Bible that you really like? And she says, oh, no, no, only the ones I've memorized. You'll see in the picture, like, all of where he's open is, like, colored. And underline, like almost the whole, it's like an old school Bible too, guys. It's not like, you know what I'm saying? It's like the columns on either side, you know what I'm talking about? There might have been like eight psalms on that page. And she knew almost the entire two pages by heart. And she started quoting these psalms to him. That's wild to me. She has God's word hidden in her heart. And listen, when, when you walk in discipleship, when you walk and get closer to the Lord, we realize that we can't just learn the three or four verses that we're supposed to know. You know, John three 16, we're supposed to know that one, right? We can't just know the ones in our disciple books. But we have to embed God's word in our heart because that's another aspect of us applying his character into our lives. I was so impressed. pastor said, I'm at one end convicted and stirred. I'm stirred to, to in my own faith, walk more like this woman who's doing his toes. <laughs> that's wild to me. It's wild to me that she had so much of that memorized. And I want that same thing in my own life, but I don't just get there instantaneously. It doesn't just happen overnight that I become mature or understand all these things. I have to walk daily with the Lord. I have to walk daily with my community, whether you're in a disciple group or not. It doesn't matter. You have a community around you, hopefully, that knows and loves Christ. Here at this church, we want to put you in a disciple community. We want you to know a group of people who's going to help you stay accountable to these Patterns of living that we want to apply in our lives, which is Bible reading, prayer, scripture, memory, uh, being vulnerable and open in your group so that we can grow together, right? Uh, having a prayer journal. All, all the things that, that are good markers uh, of growth in Christ, we want to see those things played out in your life. But see, that that doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time and effort. It's a process for us to grow in maturity to begin to apply the character of God in our lives. But see, the more that we do it, the more that it becomes Behavioral. The more that it becomes a part of who we are. And when we miss it, we, we miss it. You know what I mean? When we miss it, we, we miss those moments. Rather than when we miss it, oh, well, whatever, we'll just do it later. See, when we miss it, we actually feel that. That's when we know it's become, in, it's, or at least it's, it's, it's becoming embedded within who we are. And we want to have this character that's after God because what it will produce within us is something beautiful. Somebody say hope. That's what the character of God produces within us hope you can ask yourself, why do I feel hopeless? Well, you haven't yet developed the characteristics in line with Jesus in that area. Now listen to what I'm saying, yet. Listen, Jesus is available to all of us, and we can all be in line with his character, provided that we seek him. But see, hope is not some sterile, stoic, you know, I don't feel anything, I'm unemotional about, whatever. Hope is not a blind... Uh, I don't see or perceive what's happening in my life. That's not what hope is here. Hope still experiences hurt and pain and frustration and hard times. But hope isn't phased by those experiences. Hope is confidence in what God is doing despite knowing why. That's what a character of God will produce within us. That I don't know what God is doing, but I know he's doing something through me. And what a wonderful outlook as opposed to I need to run away from this situation as fast as possible. See, that's what God wants to produce within us. Because of his great love for us, we can have hope moving forward. Hope is resting in this reality that God loves me and he has a plan for me and he's got something that I'm moving towards. This might beg the question, why would God waste time on this? Why can't he just snap his finger like Thanos and make me wonderful? Why can't you just do that? I don't understand. Why didn't you just snap your finger and make it all right? Well, I think think what God's trying to work with in us is the process. God doesn't want just an end result. He wants you to walk through it because by walking through it, you are becoming it. Does that make sense? We don't become something overnight. It takes time to swap out those thoughts that then will become actions, actions that will then become behaviors, and behaviors that will then translate into a character that is reliant upon God and hopes in him. Why would God do this for us? Why would he, why would he spend time, so much time working on little old me? Well, because he loves you. Somebody say, Jesus loves me. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us it's a beautiful verse it's a beautiful verse not when you were at your best not when you were so close to God Christ died for you no while you were at your worst and while you were farthest away Christ died for you while you were yet still sinners I ask the youth this all the time how many of your sins were future sins when Jesus went to the cross all of them you weren't alive in 30 AD all of your sins were future sins And Jesus went to the cross knowing that you would commit them, and yet he still went because he loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Since therefore, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified, made right, been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus loves us so much, so he sends Jesus to save us from what God has the right to do which is to not place us in his presence, to cast us away. But instead, through faith, by grace, we come to know Jesus. We get to know God. We get to know him personally because of his great love for us. We should memorize this verse, 5.8. We should memorize this week if we're we're not already uh, caught up to this one. If if you don't know this one already, highlight this one, underline it, circle it, whatever you got to do and write and to the side, memorize. This is one of the, uh, the next steps in the Romans road. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't matter. If you do know what I'm talking about, uh, great. There's like four or five verses in the Roman road that helps you systematically uh, uh, lead someone to the Lord, okay? We know about sin. We know that sin leads to death. We know that God loves us, and we know that if we believe in God, we can have eternal life with him so it's it's just a really easy route so this is one of the next spots and it's a great summation of paul's overall thoughts here in five is that god loves you and i and you'll see all over paul's writings this is the chief motivation for god working within us and through us it's not because he was bored in heaven it's not because he was just twiddling his eternal thumbs eternally and it's like uh this is boring i guess i'll send jesus No, he he sent Jesus because he loves you and I so deeply that he wants us not only to have life through his death, but he wants us to have life like his life. He wants us to have peace and purpose and mission and relationship and beauty and fun. (gasps) God wants us to have fun? Yeah, he does. Jesus had lots of fun. He had lots of fun. Not like crazy, wild, sinful fun. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not not talking about that. I'm talking about real, real, actual fun that translated into praise and joy and love. Jesus had fun. You know how I know he had fun? Because little kids crawled on him. Little kids don't crawl on you if you're not fun. They can smell it. They can smell when you're not fun. They can sense it. Okay? Okay? Uh, they, they know when you're not. And Jesus has multiple occasions where he's like, Disciples, shut up. Like, just let the kids come to me. Like, we're having a good time. We're hanging out. Jesus, Jesus is not some stodgy, stoic, whatever guy. He's not some curmudgeon. He's fun to be around. I bet he told really great jokes. He's really smart. You know what I mean? He's really, really smart. and he's re- I bet he was really fast. but he was very witty. And I bet he had a really, really good time hanging out with the disciples. I know that when I hang out with my friends, the jokes flow. We don't just sit around with our Bibles open and like hum the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Like we hang out and have a good time. And I guarantee you that's how Jesus operated with his disciples. They had fun together. Jesus wants you to have a life full of whimsy and fun and passion and wonder and excitement. Doesn't that sound great? Man, that sounds great. And that happens as we conform our lives to the mission, which is to make disciples who make disciples. But, but before we get there, we have to begin to change our thoughts about who God is and how he operates in our lives. He's not just some up in heaven, give you the commands, now I'm going to leave you all to do it. Rather, he is with us in the trenches because he loves us, not just tolerates you. Listen, we especially if you're a church person. Especially if you're a church person, you know you're supposed to love people. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I lo- I'm, you're supposed to love your coworkers. You're supposed to love the people you're serving. Okay, Yes, I, if I will, if I have to, I will I'll love, I'll love somebody, fine and I, I think that's how we now we would never say that out loud right, we would never go on a mission trip or never, never go to our workplace or hang out with our friends and say I have to love you right now so I will, okay, what, what do you got we, never, we would never say that out loud but definitely in our hearts sometimes we feel that if we're honest if we're honest sometimes we feel like we have to put something on in order to love the people around us. Listen, God does not operate with you that way. God does not have to put something on, some fake whatever, in order to love you. No, he just loves you, period. With as as pure a love as possible because the reality is, we know from the New Testament, that God is love. He is love. It's not just something he does or, ha- or knows he's supposed to do. That's who he is. He is love. And because he is love, he loves you and now we understand what true love can be and look like now the person who doesn't quite get the gospel the, the person who doesn't truly understand that 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 love for god should produce some effort within us some grace-driven effort within us in order that we may abide remain with christ in fellowship with him we don't want to we don't want to leave his side because he loves us so much and because we love him so much we don't want to leave his side The person who doesn't understand that the gospel propels us to that that jesus's love propels us to want to stay committed to him instead that person will want to manipulate god for their own purposes and when i say that person i'm really talking about me because i don't fully 100 percent understand the gospel and have applied it perfectly in my own life and maybe you kind of understand what i'm trying to say and so oftentimes we'll ask questions in our own minds "Mm, well if god loves me so much then why can't i just sin what does it matter he's going to forgive me anyways Paul, anticipating this argument, writes chapter 6. Let's look at it, Romans 6, 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Listen, I'm going to sin, and it's going to make God look so good. Doesn't that just sound strange? It It should. It should sound strange because that's a heart that misunderstands love. Listen, if you have a spouse... Uh, then you understand you don't just want them to externally love you. You you want them to actually love you within their heart. You don't want them to just do external actions that are that look like love, all the while they're rolling their eyes or you know huffing and puffing. That that you don't want that. You want the person. You want their heart. And God works the same way. He wants your heart. So instead of asking the question, "Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound?" Paul says, "By no means." How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? And I'm going to add a little caveat here. How can we who died to sin still want to live in it? I think that's the heart of what Paul's trying to ask. How could we want to live in it knowing that there's God who loves us so much? Now, I think what really prompts this question within us uh, is immaturity. And that doesn't make you less valuable to God at all just because we're immature just because my children are immature doesn't mean they're any less valuable to me than when they will become mature or be mature it doesn't change their value their importance or the fact that i love them that doesn't change but as they do change we're going to have a different type of fellowship does that make sense as they mature and grow older we're going to have a different type of fellowship and i think that's what god is driving after is that we would have a different type of fellowship with him that's not based upon okay well, I have to do stuff Okay, Lord, I love you so much today. Pray for the food. We're not even eating. Um, I'm praying for it. Like, that's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want that begrudging action. Rather, what he wants is a heart that is devoted to him. He doesn't want us to try to weasel around and manipulate him to be who we want him to be. This is how Paul will argue that our identity has been changed. Because our identity has changed our ideas about God and the way that we pursue God has also changed. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You're a part of that death. So when you're baptized, when you get dunked under the water, yeah, the dunking part is fun, but that's not, that's not it. It doesn't remain that way. We then come out of the water. So let's, let's, let's keep looking now. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. A new life. Baptism stands for, represents a shedding off of the old self. It's a representation of what's already occurring in your heart, the Holy Spirit making you brand new. You are something new. Now act like it. Does that make sense? You don't become something new by acting like it. You first become the thing then you act out of what you've become. I am, therefore I do. Not I do to become what I am. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? That's how God wants to operate within us. And if we can get our ideas around this, that God loves us, then our actions will begin to reflect in uh, what Jesus would have for us, the way that Jesus lived. Paul will go on to say this in 6, 5 through 11. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Catch this verse. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. It doesn't end there though, does it? We're not just dead. Now we are alive God in Christ Jesus. So this symbol of baptism just reasserts what's already happened in our lives. It's this beautiful representation of the cleaning off of sin. It's what's already occurring and has occurred in our heart. But not only is it a symbol of what one time happened, it's a symbol of what we now are. No longer enslaved to sins. You need to consider yourself You need to think about yourself as dead to sin, meaning I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to sin anymore. See, before you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are in a self-feeding circle that always terminates on your own self. The choices that you make are for you only. And even if they're for someone else, they're still for you to feel good about your decision about someone else. This is what the Bible will tell us, is that no one seeks after God. No one goes after him. Rather, he goes after you. And what that means is that what we do in our decisions, whether it's good or bad or whatever, it always terminates back on us and our path forward, whatever that is in our minds. See, what God wants to break us out of is that circular circular cycle that ends on ourselves, and rather he wants to put us on a path that is lived for him. Amen? Okay, that's what he's wanting us to see here, Paul, in verse 11. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin. I no longer have to sin because before I know Jesus, that is my only mode in operation. I can't be righteous enough to come to God. Even the good things that I do aren't good enough in God's sight because only Jesus was good enough in God's sight. And so I have to know Jesus to be good in God's sight. Does this make sense? So I have to consider myself now that I know Jesus dead to sin and now alive in christ because god doesn't want to just offer you his death he wants to offer you a life like his life so what does this mean for me romans 6 12 through 14 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions do not present your members that just means the whole of you every part of you emotional physical blah 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 okay all of you Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I want you to notice Paul's pattern in chapters 1 through 6. There's not a single command until we just got to 6. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's not a single command that Paul gives the believers and us about how we should live, what we should look like, any of that stuff. To this point, all he's been doing is telling us about the gospel and why we should believe it. But he hasn't told us to do or be anything yet. I think he's modeling for us what we should do in our own lives because our thoughts become actions, our actions become behaviors, our behaviors become a character. And in order for us to get to character, we have to realign our thoughts first. Paul wants us to know who we are before we set off to do You are loved by God. Did you know that? Somebody say, Jesus loves me. The way you view yourself is the way you will act. The way you view yourself is the way you will act. God doesn't want to just start with our external actions, because if he started with our external actions, we would all just want to be Pharisees again, and we'd want to just accomplish the law. But see, God wants so much more than just your external action. He wants your heart. And he says over and over again, stuff like, um, when you pray, don't pray so that men can see you and that you're going to receive praise by them. Instead, go pray in your closet so no, where nobody sees you. Because that's, that's what I want. I want your heart. If you're going to go pray in a closet, it's because, it's because prayer actually matters to you. Prayer actually matters to you. And that means that the communication that we're having back and forth matters to you. And that's what I want. I want somebody that wants me. I want a heart that wants me. Jesus says, you've heard it said, Don't commit adultery. That's the external action. But Jesus goes on further and he says, but I'm telling you, don't even look at somebody else with lust. Because it's not about the external action. The external action plays out because of what you think in your mind. Jesus wants to reformat, change our thoughts to be lined up with him. Because once our thoughts are lined up with him, then we will act in accordance with him. That's how we get the character of God. Because the way you view yourself is the way that you will act. Listen, you are not bound to sin. You do not have to sin. You don't have to. You don't have to. But it's so ingrained within us that it becomes almost second nature for us to go towards sin. But Christ wants much more for us. He doesn't want us to be slaves to our own desires and selfishness and pride. No, now we're free to make choices between myself or him. Verse 14 will say this. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Remember that grace is God's unmerited favor. You don't deserve any of this, but God still likes you and He loves you and He wants to work with you. Yeah, I know, I know you messed up. I know. I still love you. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, I know, I, I, get, yeah, I yeah, I know. I get it. Yeah, 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 I get it. That's how God operates with us. I think all the time, because we always want to come up with excuses as to why we're not good enough or why we're so good. And God's like, no, 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 yeah, I I get it. You're living in grace. Live in grace. I get what you're trying to tell me, but live in grace. You're not under the law anymore. You don't have to just do all this, you know, external action. Just link up with my heart. I just want you to know me. I love you. Yeah, yeah, I know you messed up. It's okay. Keep going. See, and if we can get our view about ourselves in relation to God correct, then we'll want to live out of that grace rather than trying to live up to it. We'll live out of it rather than living up to it. We don't have to live up to the standard because we're not under law anymore. We live in grace. And God wants to change your thoughts, which change your actions, which change your behaviors, which change your character. And all of a sudden, we start looking a little more like Jesus than we used to. In discipleship, we call that a score. That means we're in the game. That means we're active. We're working. We're doing well. Listen, some of us... We're, we're in discipleship, and we're and we're seeking the Lord, and we're doing the things that He would ask us to do, which is read His Word, link up with Him through prayer, partner with the Holy Spirit daily as we uh, uh, see what's next in our lives. We we are trying ch- we are changing our thought process, which then reflects in our actions, and we're trying to change our behaviors so that ultimately a character of God will begin to happen. That's what that's what discipleship. That's why this church is so in, in, like so invested in discipleship and seeing it play out in our. Uh, people, because what we want is for you guys' gut reaction, for your first moment or your first thought to not be on yourself and your selfishness, but rather on God and towards His path and plan. Did you know that your brain is squiggly for a reason? Who, who's seen Young Frankenstein? Oh yeah, we got some we got some comedians in here. Good. Who who? Uh, just in general, who has seen like a brain picture? And you know it's all like wavy and stuff. You know what I'm talking about. It's nasty. It looks gross. Uh, there's a reason it has those indentations, okay? It's not just nasty on purpose. When you are creating uh, uh, actions or thoughts in your life, what happens is your brain begins to cut grooves in itself so that the information can pass more quickly the next time. And so the more that you do bop, 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 it's going to continue to drive deep within your mind and within your brain those patterns. You don't even have to think about how to drive home, do you? Not anymore. You're almost asleep. Science would tell us that your lizard brain kicks in. I don't know what that means, but it's like the, the deepest portion of your brain where you're, you're basically asleep when you're driving home because your mental map has been so created, you've taken the turns left, right, straight, whatever, so many times that you know how to get home without even having to think about it. See, I want our character to be in line with God that way. I want us to pursue God so much, we love him so much because of his love for us, that my knee-jerk reaction is not to be who I was, but to be who God says I can be. See, that's the character that God wants us to have. But it starts by first changing our thoughts, which lead to actions, actions which lead to behavior, behaviors which lead to character. And then ultimately it comes back on itself once more. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, is that once we get to a certain level, once we begin to start walking with God, we, we, we start to think, ooh, you know what? See, God loves me so much, and because he loves me so much and I'm so awesome, freedom, and I get to do whatever I want. There's this old commercial with Little Caesars where the guy like walks into Little Caesars and he goes, $5? I don't have to wait? There's no rules. He starts taking his shirt off. And the guy's like, put your shirt back on. He says, there's one rule. See, this is how we want to act with God. We, this is how we want to act with God. We want to say there's no more rules because we're under love and we're within grace. Romans 6, 15 anticipates this and says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Again, this is a heart that doesn't understand what the gospel is all about. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, Which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What are you slave to? There's only two camps. There's only two spots to be slave of. Either you're a slave to yourself in sin, in death, or you're a slave to God and you're a slave to obedience and you're a slave to righteousness. Verse 17 But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed circle that highlight it underline it this is discipleship language right here this is what we're trying to see embedded within all of our lives is that our hearts we'd be obedient from our hearts to the standard of teaching to which we were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness there's only two camps which one are you in Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to righteousness? There is no middle ground where you get to hang out and just drift. Maybe I'll be this today. No, you are this or you are that. Even in moments, you are this or you are that. You know what organic really is? Manure. That was a nice way to say it, right? That's what organic is. Your relationship with God cannot be organic. It has to be intentional. You only grow intentionally. You only grow intentionally. But I, see, I, I think that most of us live with this idea that we can just, we'll just live for God as it comes. Just as it goes. We'll just, you know what I'm saying, we'll, we'll keep some sin over here for when, for when it's fun and when we want to do it. But in the meantime, we'll just kind of, you know, do God's stuff on the Sunday. And, you know, hopefully it'll all work out. I think that's where most of us live. It's where I live often. It's where I live often. This is what D.A. Carson will say. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness. Prayer and obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish, David cherishes the indiscipline of lost self-control and calls it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So instead of growing closer to God through obedience as we conform to righteousness, our bent is to just rebrand our sin all under a new churchy name. Listen, I've worked so hard this week. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to take my Sabbath. And then we're on our phone for like 40 hours. You know what I'm saying? And we're only watching Netflix and we're not really taking care of our house or whatever it might be. You get what I'm trying to say? And this is where I live. I'm going to rebrand. Listen, I deserve. I deserve to come home and everyone should serve me. I am the king. You know what I'm saying? Where's my scepter? And that's how we live. We never say that out loud, but that's how we live. And we rebrand our sin as some churchy equivalent. Oh, I get to do whatever I want. I'm free in Christ. So I get to do and act and live however I want. See, I'm liberated. I'm free. All the while we're being disobedient. And so we don't drift towards God. We drift towards ourselves. We drift towards disobedience. And what God wants us to do is be intentional about seeking him we need to be slaves to righteousness because you are whoever you obey whether a slave to sin or slave to righteousness paul will charge us this way Romans 6 19 present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification there's a purpose there's a reason behind this sanctification is the process of becoming more like god literally it means holy making sanctification is the process of not allowing sin to reign Or live within us, because Romans 6.20 and 21 say this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. You didn't have to do any of that stuff. Verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul is reminding us that sin always leads to death. Don't forget who you were before you knew Christ. Don't forget the damage that you caused before you knew Christ. If you've always known Christ and you were saved at five years old, don't forget that when you weren't devoted to him, the damage that you caused, the relational strife that you created around you, the circumstances that you did not step into and do the right thing. Don't forget those things because, listen, those things lead to death. But listen, this does not have to be our end. It does not have to be our end. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin, you don't have to do it anymore, and you've become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end what eternal life I like that better than death I like that better than death and I think you'd agree this can be the rest of our story that the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control can live within us producing within us the character of God it can produce within us holiness which ends which actually doesn't end I think that's a funny phrase ends in eternal life That's kind of an interesting way to put it. But the the production of sanctification is eternal life, a life with God. We have to live forever rather than dying. Paul concludes the chapter this way, 623. For the wages of sin is death. Don't forget. If you want to go back to sin, if you don't understand what the gospel is all about, you don't understand that God really loves you, don't forget that sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is amazing grace that God has offered us. So we should buy into it. We should be a part of it. We should live out of it because God loves us so much. So here's what we have to do. Become slaves to righteousness. We have to become obedient because it produces life within us. Here's the problem. You and I have created character around our sin. We've created mental maps in our minds around sin. And so it's going to take work for us to remove those patterns of living to remove those decisions we used to make, to remove those thoughts that we used to have about people and whoever else, and begin to instead place God in those areas and walk with the Holy Spirit and partner with him in those ways. And when we feel ourselves straying from the Lord, walking away, trying to get away from him, we feel that tension happening, that's a moment where we get to cling back to the Lord. We get to go back to him because of his great love for us. Where you are right now doesn't doesn't have to be who you are. Where you are right now doesn't have to be who you are. God has more for you. And because you are something new, the Holy Spirit's working within you. He's creating something new in your heart. Once you come to know him in faith, once you are this new thing, now we can live out the new life that God showed us through what Jesus modeled. Listen, white-knuckle discipline will never work. It won't you have a limited amount of willpower. Some of us have more, some of us have less. Some of us have more uh, uh, emotional capacity to handle difficult people, and some of us have a lot less. Listen, we, we all have a certain amount, we have a finite resource of these things. You only have a finite resource of willpower. And so if you try in your own willpower to be perfect like God, it will never work. Your resource will run out. That's why we need something eternal like Jesus to come in and help us live out of his grace. That's why we need him to help reformat our thoughts which lead to actions, which lead to behaviors, and finally end in character that produces hope within us. And hope won't fail us. Hope will not fail us because we are expecting God to do good for us. God is working together good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans will affirm this later on. So how do you grow in a new discipline? You change your thoughts. You don't start with the discipline. Start with how you think about yourself and about God. Somebody say, Jesus loves me. Yeah, he does. You know how we know it? The Bible tells me so. And I've experienced it so much. And I see it in you. I know when God's working and moving in you, I see it so tangibly, and I know that you see it in others when he's doing the same, and I know that you see it in yourself. That's what he wants for us, is to be faithful to him and to walk with him, recognizing that God wants to work with us even at our worst and at our best. He wants to work with us at all times to produce a character in line with him. We need to change our, our perspective on why we should keep going back to him, not how. We know how. Read your Bible, pray every day. We, we get that. We know how, but why? It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. He loves you. Somebody say it, he loves me. <laughs> and because he wants you to succeed, and he wants you to have fun, and he wants you to have a great life, you should want it too. That's what, that's what the gospel is all about. That's one of the implications. God loves you, so go out and live for him. So in the next coming weeks, when Pastor Harold gets back, thank the Lord, when he gets back, I know you all saying the same thing. When he gets back, he's going to walk us through what it looks like to begin to change our behavior and our actions, and how that all operates. But but here's how this here's how this is going to work. It's going to be twofold. Not only do you have to change your thoughts, you, you can't just stay up here. It has to eventually get down here to be lived out. Here's my question: Who wants peace with God? Who wants a character in line with God? Who wants the fruit of the spirits in their life? Fruit of the spirit in their life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's a great list. I would love that list. Who wants to live with confidence in yourself, knowing that God loves you? And that you're not just the worst, most pitiful whatever. Also, you're not the best, most awesome whatever. You're just you. And God loves you. And that's okay. We can have confidence in that. Who wants victory over sin patterns in their life? Yeah, me too. Big time. Who wants to see people around us come to know Jesus? It starts right here. Because thoughts become actions. Actions become behaviors. Behaviors become our character. We need to line up with what God says about us. With who he wants us to be. It starts with knowing the gospel and living it out. Believer, you have some steps. The Holy Spirit is telling you something now. He's prompting you towards something. Are you listening? Do you have ears to hear him? And if you don't yet ask for him, he'll give them to you. I promise you. It's going to take some risk on your part to walk towards the Lord, not knowing exactly what he might have and exactly what the next step will be. It's going to take some risk. But if you can turn around and know that you honored God in every one of your steps, I promise you that was the path he had for you. We only get to know that, though, by reading his word, by lining up with him each day and lining up with our community, by doing the things that... That are in keeping with becoming obedient to righteousness. If you don't know Jesus in here today, we're gonna pray in a minute. And you have a step. You can respond by having a relationship with God. Listen, He wants to make you right, He desires you, He loves you, He has a purpose for you, a path for you. He wants to change who you are, not because you're terrible who you are. No, He knows who you could be. You're wonderful right now, and you could be so much more wonderful but you just got to deal with this stuff in your life called sin. He wants to have a relationship with you and in a moment we're going to pray and you can ask him to be Lord of your life and help you to make the decisions that are in keeping with him. Believer, I'm challenging you to pray. I'm challenging you to pray to ask what's next. Maybe you haven't joined a church yet. Maybe you're struggling with that question. Which church should I go be a part of? I've now seen four or five or whatever. I would hope you'd make Cornerstone your, your church home. Not only do we preach the gospel here, we believe the gospel should be lived out, not just talked about. We want to see it modeled. We want to see it lived out in your lives. We want to see people come to know Jesus through your influence and your impact. We want to show you how to do that through discipleship. If you need to make some other decision like baptism, you want to show off your obedience to God by proclaiming to the world that you know him and are walking in the new life, come let us know at the front here in a moment. Let us know how we can walk with you as a church, invest in you and be a part of your spiritual walk. Let's bow our heads as we pray and see what's next. Father, we thank you. You're beyond good to us. You offer us grace. You're beyond loving to us. You offered yourself. Because your love and because you want to see love lived out in us, you've sent Jesus. And so I pray this week, Father, that we would remember the gospel and have it lived out in our lives. I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, Holy Spirit, show us what's next. If we know you in here today, Father, I'm praying for the hearts of those who know you, that that we would be prompted and pushed forward to something new, to something um, either in our thoughts or in our behaviors or in our actions that would begin to line up with your character. Show us what it is that we need to do in order to be in step with you and in step with this new life. We want to have your character. We want to have peace with you. We want to have a great relationship with you. We want to show off and display this love that you have in us. Help us to to see what it is that you've got for us this week. Help us to change our thoughts first. Help us to change our thoughts first to be in line with you. If you don't know Jesus today, if you haven't made a, a conscious decision to make him save you of your life. Today is the moment. Today is the day. Would you pray like this? Dear God, thank you for how much you love me. You see me and you know me. That's wonderful that you love me and that you care for me even while I was at my worst. I know that I've not done everything correctly. That in moments in my life I have hurt people, I've offended others, I've lied to myself, I've lied to others, I've done things wrong, I've sinned, but I know that you died on the cross to save me that you, you died on the cross to forgive me of all those things. And that I know that now you want to live with me and that now you have a new life for me and you want to produce within me a character that's in line with you. Thank you so much. Would you be Lord of my life? Would you be the captain of all my decisions? Would you help me to live for you and walk with you? I love you, it's in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that way, come let us know. If you need to join our church, come let us know. If you need to be baptized, come let us know. If you need prayer, if you need anything, come to the front and let us know. We'd love to pray with you, to talk with you, to see what's next in your own faith walk. Let's stand as we sing.